0: this is some of my best work I'm Jane Rocker. DZ Rays worked on their second studio album Black Rat in a nightclub on weekday. They chose a night slave the final song from that album as some of their best work. The album Black Rat would go on to win an aria for the hard rock heavy metal album category. The band explains that it marked a point where they realized their output could be so much more that they could use more than guitars, drums and vocals. And a quick thank you to the Australian Recording Industry Association. They've let us use some audio from the ARIA Awards Ceremony, but that's later in the episode. There's a link in the episode notes if you want to see the full clip. While you're listening, leave a review or let a friend know who's a DZ Death Race fan. Here's Shane Parsons. You'll hear him first and Simon Ridley with the story of Nightslave, some of their best work.
1: This song came out in 2014, so we would have written it maybe in 2013, and it would have been a really dodgy demo that we sort of pieced together. <laughs> yep, totally. I quite liked it because it was a little bit... Um, you know, when when Simon and I first started the band, like we had a like we were really influenced by dance music, and I thought this song always lent into that dance music world a little bit, and that was the whole idea behind it. It was kind of like you're being a slave to the night, and you about grimy dance floors and all that sort of stuff, and things that you know that I look back on now, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could go back to <laughs> those moments of like club nights and 3am parties and stuff. It sort of reminded me of that of those times, and so writing it we were like i think it's going to work on this this record now i think one thing to remember is this entire record was all written in a nightclub that was closed so we would go in on a monday morning or maybe a tuesday morning
2: yeah whenever the cleaners would come in
1: (laughs) and we go in there and we just jam and write songs on the stage and sort of Come up with these ideas. We weren't at that point. We weren't doing demos ourselves. Yeah, we wanted the whole album to have this sort of dark, moody, nighttime vibe, which I think we've we've done a fair bit on on a lot of songs. But that that one especially was kind of it. It was our second record, and we wanted it to have a little bit of a theme. And when we wrote this song, I think it I really was like, "This is kind of a great maybe outro to the record." When we went into the studio, Burke Reed, who was uh, working on the record with us he was like, yeah, it's, it's cool, but you need something else. You need a middle section. I think we just had sort of like a four to the floor stomp or something before that. And so we started writing these arpeggios on the guitar. And I think at some point Simon left the room because <laughs> we were pretty pretty drunk and we were sort of just trying to piece together this this idea and everyone was getting really confused about where bits and pieces should be. And once we actually arranged it and we got all the parts together, then it was all about nailing the performance. Um, and after a fair few beers and it being two in the morning or whatever, I was struggling to, <laughs> to sort of get the bits.
0: Could I ask how you came to use a closed nightclub, so to speak, as, as the place that you would make the record though?
2: Uh, it was a friend's nightclub that they were running. We just wanted somewhere that we could that was going to be quiet, it was going to be cheap for us to go into and that we could just leave our gear set up. They didn't really have anything running during the week. It, their nights really started kicking off on like Thursday night, so we'd go in like Monday and be able to leave our stuff set up for most of the week. Yeah, it was great. There was no noise complaints or anything like that, so we could just do whatever we wanted, really.
1: And it was funny. We were we were taking deliveries and stuff that were coming in. The delivery oh, yeah. guys <laughs> coming, we were like, "Oh yeah, bring it in here." So <laughs> I always remember one one Thursday we were we were wrapping up practice, and a band came in and it was Rufus and they were playing or Rufus to, who are now Rufus to Soul, but they were playing that night at the venue, and um, I remember Tyrone coming up and having a chat and stuff, and I was like, oh he's such a nice such a nice guy." <laughs> and um, crazy to see like, yeah, you know, we were just rehearsing in there and, and Rufus was just coming in to do a show and you know, just to see how sort of big that band has gotten now it's it's mind-blowing.
0: And so tell me, in terms of connecting it back to some of your best work, what is it about writing that particular track that you've taken forward in what came next for you as a band?
1: I think it was that idea of pulling apart a piece of music and putting it together in the most creative way possible. For me, writing music is really sort of, especially these days, I really try and focus on having just a really solid foundation and then building outwards from that you know be it only writing a song that has essentially sits on one note and then has one change or it has four chords the entire way through and i think that's what that song did it sort of had this one thing that just kept moving all the way through the choruses we were like how do we develop that into becoming something a little outside of just being the same same you know same thing going over and over again and it was probably the first time we really put our minds to constructing a piece of music to flow in a certain way um you know if this note if it ends on this note then what's going to be the the one you want to hear but also something that feels a little bit interesting as well and i think burke really pushed us in that sense he was like you know let's let's work it out and um and we had a whiteboard and uh what we did is we 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 were like okay so this section of the because it's all guitar, so it's like a guitar riff with like a kick drum behind it. So it's supposed to be sort of stripped back, arpeggio guitar. Um, but we're like, this section is A, and this section is B, and this section is C, and this section is D, or whatever, and then this is E. And we'll be like, okay, so it goes A, and then it goes into B, then it goes back to A, then it goes to C, and then it goes to B again. And then it's kind of like working out this sort of little bit of a puzzle and once we, once we got to the end and we're like, okay, now we need to come back and we need to figure out how to get to this part. So we're like, okay, so this new part here, this will be E and that'll fit there and that'll take us back to A, which then gets us back into, you know, the original melody or sort of like progression that we had that was flowing through the entire song. And we'd just never done that before. So it was kind of, it was a cool turning point, I think, for us to learn how to sort of pull apart a song and, and, and develop it in that kind of a way, which is maybe a bit more of a sort of dance music or pop music sort of thing rather than just getting in a room and thrashing it out and being like, all right, that's it, done, punk song. We were kind of, yeah, really sort of strapping our brains a little bit to, to, to get it through the door.
0: Could I ask a little bit about that in-studio experience with Burke Reed?
1: Well, I mean, we, we did we did this pre-production with Burke, which was probably one of the loosest times of my life. <laughs> I think Scott Horscroft had just bought the Grove and um, so he was sort of cleaning it up and getting it sorted to become a proper studio again and um, there was Burke and there was Matt Lovell there and we were, it was just a bit of like a, just sort of like a bit of a bloke's retreat kind of thing which we, we didn't really expect to go to but you know, we love to have a beer. Burke loves to have a beer. And, and so was, and Matt was just there, I think, hanging out watching the cricket. And Scott was working on the property. And it was kind of one of those things where I think every every day we'd be in this little barn shed rehearsing, um, trying to get these songs together. And then it'd come around to 4 o'clock and someone would be like, beers? And like, okay. And then it was margaritas. And then it was 2 in the morning and we were in the hot tub because it's a hot tub there, and uh, it was the middle of summer as well, so we were watching out for snakes everywhere, and it was just one of those, I don't know, it was a really fun time, and we just, Scott was going into town every day and just bringing back at least two bowls of tequila and (laughs) a bowl of Contro and and, and two slabs of VB. It was was, was kind of like
2: schoolies for (laughs) old (laughs) rock dudes. It was definitely a work hard, play hard sort of week. (laughs) You know, everyone had stuff to get through. But then, because you were also very hungover that day, by the end of the day, you're like, "Oh, thank God, let's clock off and have some beers." And then uh, Burke brought out his cocktail kit, and it would always escalate. <laughs> and then the next day, you're just hungover again in this barn, trying to play songs to this horrible click track that Burke would be slamming through this PA. And then we're really like, "All right, the songs are feeling good. Let's let's have some beers to celebrate." <laughs> And that was the process for about a week or two, I think.
1: Yeah, it was like ten days, I think, in total. But it was funny because we did that, and then we everyone went home for Christmas, and I think we did some shows over the New Year, and then we went back in January to do the, um, to, to actually record the record for two weeks. And it was funny because Burke was like, "I'm not, I'm not drinking while we're recording, you know, I can't because I just can't be hungover." And like, okay, that's you know, that's all good. And we were sort of obviously we were sort of straightened ourselves out of it as well. We're like, yeah, we've got to, let's just get this stuff done. But it was maybe like 10 days into the record and we had tracked almost everything. Um, and I know that it was like Night Slave and uh, maybe less out of sync. I think we, we changed the, we, we wrote a new chorus while we were in the studio. And I remember we were like, let's just go to the, we've had a big 10 days. Let's just go to the pub, have a, a pub meal and, you know, a couple of beers and be just really chill. And Burke's like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I want to drink. And Simon goes, Burke, you never go cold turkey. You only ever go wild turkey. (laughs) It sort of got him. And uh, I remember, (laughs) and Burke was like, All right, you twisted my arm. So we just had a couple. And then that night, I think we ended up. The last thing I remember is Burke standing on the glass table with his hands sort of like pumping the air, listening to all the stuff that we'd recorded that time. Um, it was just such a, I don't know, it was a really fun experience. It was kind of like, we felt like we'd known each, everyone had known each other for, for so long. And I think because we had that pre-production time where we were just sort of hanging out together, we're talking all the time, I woke up, I slept in the studio, in the live room on a mattress on the floor. And I was like, oh man, like... <laughs> We really so it sort of escalated last night and then we had to have a day off because everyone was just too hungover and then we, then we got back to it for the last few days it was just a nice time where you, you meet new people and you, and you have so many stories and conversations that just um, it feels like time goes so quickly and, and you know each other really really well mm-hmm.
0: Looking back now at making that album, what happened career-wise after that? Like, what would you say that that record really allowed you to do next? Because there was a tour of the UK that followed, right?
2: Yeah, we kind of toured that everywhere. We toured that record for like two years straight. I think it was the most we've ever really toured a record, right?
1: Yeah. It was funny because I think that record, it got picked up after it sort of came out. Um, so infectious records in the uk they picked it up it had already come out and they were hearing it and they're like oh we want to release it here in the uk so then we kind of started a second cycle like we sort of we were doing the australian release cycle and then eight months later it was like we started a new one and it was a uk release cycle
0: and to probably reflect on that now given that we're locked down in a pandemic must feel a bit bittersweet but also amazing that you got to do that when you did right
1: yeah totally oh yeah I'm so glad that I got to, to, to do some touring
2: and, and see the world and stuff. It's really yeah. nice. <laughs> it seems like a, a past life now. <laughs> it does, it does. <laughs> like, I remember being a musician. <laughs> oh.
0: Tell me a little bit about, you know, obviously winning an ARIA. I know that's not the reason you, you set out to make music, but what those accolades and recon- recognition mean to you both?
1: I went to the Arias for the, for the second one and Simon said that, oh, I can't be bothered because we're not going to win or anything.
2: No, we just come back from like two months of tour, and I wanted to go home. <laughs> it would have mean I would have been home for like one day, seeing my partner, and then gone straight back on tour, basically. And I was like, oh, I can't. I'm done. And then, and... <laughs> and then Shane had to go by himself, and we won. <laughs>
0: Dang, because that was Bloodstreams that went on to win Best Hard Rock Heavy Metal Album.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> it was uh... <laughs> pretty wild. Yeah, it was wild and it was even more wild because Johan from IOU told me that we wouldn't win it. <laughs> it's like when your label says, "Yeah, I don't I don't think you're in for a chance because we I think we were we were up against some like really heavy hitter bands, like big bands." I'm like, "That's fine. I said I'm happy just to come here and and see what it's all about." And so I didn't write any sort of speech or anything because I was
0: Yeah, you weren't expecting it, right?
1: No, not expecting it at all. And then, we, and then they said our name, and I was like, oh, God damn it. And I looked over to Johan, and he's just like nodding at me, hitting my leg. He's like, get up there. And I was like, dude, I don't have anything written.
2: To be fair, when have you ever written anything for an award? No, never. never. <laughs> it's always just a few drinks and see what comes out. <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: All right. And the aria goes to DZ Death Rays.
0: It's the second Aria win in as many years for the Brisbane punk duo. In 2012, Bloodstreams was awarded Best Hard Rock Heavy Metal Album.
2: Black Rat is described as a nighttime record. It's also been released in the UK and North America.
3: Yo. Uh, First up, I just want to say I wish Simon was here for this. He decided not to come here because uh, we just got home from tour for about seven months over in Europe. Um, Thursday, so he was like, I can't do a deal with another flight. So, this goes out to him, and a special thanks to Johan, Maggie, and Jesse, and all of our crew who have helped us out. Burke Reed, who helped us record this album. And uh, I feel kind of weird about winning this again, and uh, I don't feel like we're that heavy of a band, but um, you know, our. Um, spirit goes to bands like she had, who I grew up listening to. They were my favourite band in high school, and uh, it's kind of weird sitting behind them in this uh, audience here and and, uh, winning this award. But anyway, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, Yeah, cheers.
0: I was also going to ask you, though, in terms of night slave and that song appears last on the record was it the last to be written give us some perspective of is the way we hear it on the record because it is the last song or, or not really
2: i remember for that one we everyone kind of had their own little opinion on what we should do but i think we all kind of just felt like it was the right thing to end on on the first album
1: we recorded we had four years worth of music that we we had been playing live as well for ages so we kind of knew exactly how everything was going to be. It was really hard for us to change anything because we were super stubborn in terms of like, oh, we can't change that. Then we toured that quite a bit. When it came to write uh, recording the second one, people were like, oh, we, you got to get in the studio and do the next record. And we were like, oh, uh, we haven't really written that much stuff. So we sort of did about six months writing, but a lot of the songs weren't completely fleshed out. And that's why we went to the studio and did that pre-production sort of stuff and which we'd never done pre-production before um either so going in there and doing that was really like a it was like the finishing off of a lot of the songs and even then after the pre-production there were songs like night slave that weren't finished until we were actually putting guitar tracks down and, and drums down and they're like all right we, we've got to come up with a bit here and um i think we were kept saying that thing of like pressure pressure makes diamonds and it's like when you're under the pump you're like we've got to get this done then you know some good ideas can sometimes rear their head, and 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 it ends up becoming like you know one of your favorite parts of the entire album, the last minute sort of thing.
2: Yeah, it was definitely the most exciting. I one of the memories in of the studio coming into that room early in the morning, and seeing uh, Shane and Burke trying to figure out that riff on the fly. That was awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Could I ask if you remember performing this particular song that you've nominated live at all? Like, is there a is there a stage moment that stands out to you, or what it's like to perform live?
2: Yeah, this one is super fun playing live because we always just started that middle section. When we, um, just seeing Shane and Locke Well, yeah, Lucky had to learn the whole piece. Uh, who's that? You know, our third guitarist. Just watching those guys go at it, it's <laughs> <is> super fun. <laughs> Yeah,
1: I think I, I remember the first time we re, we actually played this live and it was at a festival. I want to say it was in Newcastle or or Wollongong. And my friend was there and I, gave, I got him like a, a pass so he could come and hang out backstage. I was like, oh, can you? I said, here's a camera. Can you just film this song? Because I want to hear what it sounds like. Sounds like live with the two guitars and, you know, kind of we were sort of getting it. We were pretty tight on it. And yeah, it was it was cool. Like it was a small crowd, but it, I just remember it was really exciting for me because I was like, all oh, right, this is a cool moment for us to be a little bit tricky on the guitar and sort of have this this moving piece of music with like, which is almost like a bit of a dance section as well, which was cool." But we, we ended up going on to play that song. It was part of the set for for years. Probably only stopped playing it maybe like, oh, it's hard because I'm thinking like we just stopped playing, but if you don't include the last two years, I think maybe about <laughs> yeah. two years be- before that, we sort of had eased off playing it. But for maybe like four years or so, I think that makes sense, we were playing that live and um, it was cool because I always love playing it because we don't really, sometimes we play to a click track um, for certain songs, but this one we've always just been pretty free form. So it's, you know, it is kind of like a, a dance song, but it is pretty loose as well. And it's always really fun because Lockie and I both sort of have pretty high gain guitars. And when that song comes up, you know, we just let the sort of guitars really feed back at the start. And then Simon comes in with that big drum roll and then everything just locks together into this big sort of stomping mechanism. And it's funny because I remember Burke was his analogy for a lot of the songs. was like, it's got to be like sort of King Kong running, like stomping <laughs> through the jungle and like ripping out trees and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was a great...
2: He had that analogy for a lot of things, but... He does. <laughs> yeah. I remember that's how he described taking a dump once. And that was the funniest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. <laughs> You've got to finish the I mean, story. <laughs> no, that's it, <laughs> pretty oh, that's
1: much. It. He just had that same analogy for lots of things. So it's got to sound like, like King Kong stomping through the jungle. He was very much... The, the person who made us go, you can have more than the drums, guitar, and vocals in your songs, which was a big sort of turning point for us as a band, because being a two-piece, we were kind of restricted for a really long time by that. And I, I do feel like at some point it got to us a little bit. We were like, oh, it's just not really that interesting. But he was like, well, you you have options. Like, He's like, you either get a backing track or you get someone else to play the part, but you got to have that extra part there because it makes the song so much better and I'm not ever going to let you take that away. And so that's why we ended up, you know, having another player with us, which I think has been the best thing ever because it sort of pushed us to keep writing songs and stay um, captivated by being in the
2: band. Definitely. It took a lot of weight off our our shoulders as well, you know. Releasing that limitation was really good.
0: Could I ask a little about, you know, the camaraderie, amongst you guys as well I mean it's one thing to sort of start out as a band and then become another band and then be on that same journey together why do you think it is that works for you I
1: think at the start we we were we were both living in a house together and we were both just like if we're gonna do this you know we need to have everyone has like a an equal say in and what it is and we have to just give it a hundred percent I mean there's a lot of people who play in bands who have other things going on and um I think that's what we found, you know, we sort of struggle if if you weren't fully focused on the band and the band is everything you've got, then um, it's easy to sort of like go, oh, you know, I, like to I won't, I, I can't make that rehearsal or I won't be able to do those shows and stuff. So we, I think for us, it was always just we've got to give everything to this to this this band and see how we go with it. And we sort of said we we do ten years, and if we at the end of ten years we're like. Nah, let's just leave it. We'll just leave it. But we did 10 years and we were still like, all right, let's keep going. Let's keep writing songs. And still feels really fresh every day.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode with Simon and Shane from DZ Death Race. Thanks also to Aria for letting us use the clip from the ceremony back in 2014. I'm Jane Rocker. And coming up, we've got some great guests. John Safran, Montaigne, Jaguar Jones and many more. The enthusiasm from artists is coming in thick and fast. If you haven't already checked out the other podcasts from Mushroom, weekly music culture news on Hit Different, new music from some of Australia's best singer-songwriters, Paul Kelly is one of them, search for One Guitar and leave a review for some of my best work on your podcast app.